This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. It's two minutes past nine. You are tuned to 102.7 3RRR. Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. I'm Rex Hunter. How are you, Rex? Good, all the way from the beach. Yesterday, yeah? Yesterday, anyway. Ah, <laughs> Very nice in the water. Getting amongst it. Yeah, amongst it, all right. <laughs> yeah, very good. We have Kent here as well, pushing the buttons. Pushing, pushing our buttons. <laughs> Hey, thanks very much to Tim uh, for three hours, another three hours of Vital Bits, <laughs> hours four, five and six for this weekend. Amazing. I don't know how he does it. No, it's uh, hats off. We appreciate you so much, Tim Thorpe, and thank you very much to Andrew for this week's edition of Soulful yes, Bits as well. Another good show, another mm. good show. On our program today, we're kind of going a bit maritime, at least for the first half, with a little punctuation of surf. Oh, fuck. Well, finally got in. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to talk... Yeah, well, this is... You've got the floor, Rex. So we're going to start with um, talking a bit about clipper ships. Yes, yes, clipper ships. Um, what can I say? The clipper ships, that's it. No. <laughs> All right. That's it. 57 minutes left. <laughs> I should have listened to my inner voice, shouldn't I, Rex? You should have. <laughs> You can see I've done no no research for this segment. All right, we'll get on to clipper ships uh, in a little while. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to go to plan B. No, you are going to talk about clipper ships, Yes, of course, yeah, and how wonderful um, creatures they were and how, how fast they sailed and how they changed the world virtually. Um, it's like the internet today. I mean, to get to, um, say, the UK from uh, to Melbourne, 
in say the uh, early 1800s or would have taken you um you know like they go away for three or four five months and then dropped it down to around 60 days all right okay so quite amazing which would have had all sorts of flow-on effects as well yes yep. yes Excellent. So we'll talk about clipper ships. We're going to then uh, cross Dr. Surf for a surf report. He's also going to be talking about um, the event which happened yesterday for the DSA, Disabled Surfers Association, while the why, I knew I was going to mug that up. <laughs> Ride the wild surf. So this is a fun surf competition where people can dress up and go down there, and all proceeds go towards uh, Disabled Surfers Association as well. So he's going to talk to us about that and give us a general surf report. Then we're going to be joined in studio by Maddie McAllister. Yes, Maddie, uh, new uh, maritime archaeologist at Heritage Victoria and the project that's coming up on the Amazon down in Vlock. You gave us a little teaser for this a couple of weeks ago. Yes, yeah, so I in. just dipped your toes in the water. Excellent. <laughs> so we might do a little refresher on that um, at the beginning and really just put it all in context about what the Amazon is and or was and was. Uh, and what this project's all about and what Maddie's involvement is yes. in it. I want to talk to her too about um, what uh, where she's at as an emerging maritime archaeologist yeah one of the kitties on new kitties on the block so yeah to <laughs> good to see and then jeff's going to be in for uh, uh this month's edition of sound waves jeff's been profiling um australian maritime tv shows and uh the clue that he's given me this week is that it's aussie maritime meets american cowboy this could go in a number of different directions rex <laughs> Sounds like my childhood watching Australian TV. <laughs> right, there you go. So um, I have no idea what it's going to be, but I guarantee it's going to be entertaining and a great way to finish very, off the show. Well, Jeff's always very good. Get you ready for the doctors. They might have their version of Aussie Maritime meets American Cowboy. <laughs> we'll find out. All right, today's weather. It's going to be 23 degrees and a chance of fog in the early mornings. Um, I didn't see any, mostly sunny day. Light winds becoming southeast to southwesterly, 20 to 30 kilometres an hour in the middle of the day, then becoming light in the late evening. Sounds like good... Uh, Good diving weather. Good diving weather. Yeah. Um, tomorrow, and 23, tomorrow 30, cloud increasing. It's going to be warm, becoming cloudy. Winds northerly 15 to 25 kilometres an hour. Almost no chance of rain. Um, Tuesday, showers developing, um, 27 degrees and a very high chance of showers. Uh, chance of thunderstorm in the afternoon and evening. Winds northerly 25 to 35 kilometres an hour. So very wet, windy, warm. Looks a bit sultry on Tuesday. Mm. We're having such a strange spring. <laughs> and then um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're back in the low 20s and a oh, bit of showers here and there, but mostly dry. On the water today... Um, I won't read the surf forecast. I'll leave that for Dr. Surf. We are looking to... <laughs> Tides. <laughs> yeah, can't find them. They've moved them again. Oh, very strange. Okay, they haven't put the tide times in, the the, uh, the paper that I'm looking at at the moment. All it says is Melbourne, Williamstown, high tide, Sunday, 6.34am. So slack water at the heads would have yeah. been around 6... Yeah, no tide times. Wow. Okay. Well... Can't do that. No then. tides today. No sorry. tides today. We've got a couple of minutes. Have you got any quick updates for us, Rex? Uh, well, yes, we were out yesterday. Uh, Maritime Archaeology Association Victoria out off Rise. They doing some photogrammetry with with Maddie, which is her expertise on the Ivian wreckwind. So we, while we're out there, decided to have a look around for a couple of other sites that I've done some research on. So we end up finding a new wreck site. Vessel, wooden vessel about maybe 40 odd feet long and um, a stranding site with a bunch of old lime bags have been thrown over the side where a vessel's blown ashore in some shallow water and to get her off obviously they've just thrown these 
big old bags of lime. So very exciting. Yeah. And possible identity for this wreck off was off Rye. Okay. We've got probably two. Um, one was the um, Adieu, which was wrecked in eighteen eighty two, and the other one was the uh, Barbara, wrecked in eighteen fifty two. So yeah, little wooden. Vessels that were the backbone of the trade on Port Phillip for years and years and years. Are they quite similar? So in terms of having Very, to work out which one it was? Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the hard that's bit. That's a I tricky mean, bit. Um, they're both around 40-odd feet long. So. Um, and you know that they both went down roughly in the same area? Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so a bit of detective work. We yeah. need to do some more work there. So we've got, got a few measurements because um, when you find a wreck, if you do some basic measurements so off the keel or keels and... and Stern posts and they can give you some basic um, data to work from, then you can sort of narrow it down, narrow your search down. So, yeah, it's very good. So Do you know what kind of timber they were made from? Well, this is hardwood. You can actually see the, the saw marks in the timber still. Right. But were they from, made from the same timber? Could, uh, could that be used as a distinguishing feature? Well, the, this is where your, um, your analysis of the timber comes in. You need to get timber samples of, you know, say, uh, ribs or keel or something rather than send them off to be... Um, Analyze, and he, the guy, um, we use a guy called Hugo, Hugo, and he he will tell you where your timber came from, what sort of species it was. So, but you might get a vessel built in Melbourne where they've used imported timber. Mm. So it can, it it does help, but sometimes it doesn't help. No, and can you go to records to find out exactly the kind of timber, or do the record are the records not quite that detailed? Oh, no, it, it will say it will be built where where it's built. Say it was built in. One was built in Gravelly Beach in Tasmania, so you would imagine it'd be local, local indigenous timbers from Tassie, because all they do is find a creek somewhere and just chop out a site and build build a ship, right? Build a boat from local timbers and then sail her away. Huh. So easier said. Excellent. <laughs> so that's part of the fun, so <laughs> detective work. Keep guessing. Keep you guessing. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Rex. Well, we'll come back and talk more about clipper ships in a few moments. Right, yes. Um, we're now going to play a track, and I'm just going to say up front. Oh, actually, two things I have to say up front. One is um, we, if you follow our social media, I did put up on our Facebook page last night, we were going to be um, bringing an interview that Dr Beach and I did um, a couple of weeks ago with Ben Radford from AIMS, the Australian Institute of Marine Sciences. Um, but uh, we've decided to hold that one off till next week. We can have ex- <laughs> Put it on the back burner. Yeah, have a, have a long a chat with yourself and with Maddie instead. Yeah, yeah. Well, get us going. You won't be able to stop us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, we'll be doing that. Um, and uh, the other announcement, um, I don't have a giveaway. I wish I did, but I don't. Um, but we are going to play a track now from uh, Grand Salvo's new release called Sea Glass. It is the Triple R album of the week as well. Um, and uh, I love this track. Almost every track. We don't have a giveaway if you're ringing in. <laughs> so just letting you know that. Um, yeah, every track on this album is just gorgeous and, and everyone has a, a, some kind of marine um, reference. Uh, this one is delightful. I hope you enjoy it. It's called The Black Coast.
It is 17 minutes past nine, coming up to 18 minutes past nine, and yeah. this is Radio Marinara, if you've just tuned in. It's clipper time, Bron. Clipper time. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us all about clipper ships, Rex. Well, I'm glad you asked, Bron. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise I'd be wasting my time here. <laughs> no. We gave a little introduction before about we what they were all about. Little, yes. We significant to, type of ship. Very important type of ship. Um, it goes right back to the uh, sort of... There was a French lugger, um, quick-moving vessel uh, used sort of... Used to sail to the US and that type of thing. And then sort of... Few people got the ideas how quick... You know, from this vessel, how quickly they sailed. So um, it was... A, during the War of Independence in 1812 in the US with the, with England, there was a um, another vessel developed called the Baltimore Baltimore Schooner, which was uh, like a, a topsail schooner, so square sails up the top, and, and these were made to go fast so they get outsail the black British blockade of the US. Um, sort of move on a few more years to sort of 1830s, and there was a, a vessel called the Anne McKim, and that was the, one of the first. Uh, first proper clipper ships but this thing was so tender if you can imagine they're stretching these vessels out and they're reducing the beam so you've got less drag in the water you, you're increasing the um the pointiness of the bow and you're making the stern tucking a bit more so you're making them more streamlined and making, more kind of arrow shaped yeah like a fish you know right if you cut a fish not a flathead but <laughs> say yeah <laughs> say a brim or something rather down the center ways through yep. you see how how they're shaped you know like Made to go. Okay. Like a horizontal. Yeah, like yeah, a okay. horizontal cut. Yeah. Yep. Not a flathead because... No. <laughs> they a, are a horizontal cut. <laughs> you end up with a barge cut. otherwise. Yeah. Uh, um, and so the Anne McKim was so... They so extreme for a time that they couldn't sail this vessel without ballast because as soon as they took the ballast out, the thing would fall over. Right. Because the mast was so high and was so mm. narrow and so tender. And they had a, a call... For, a rise in the, the floors of the um, the bottom ribs of a vessel, and they call it high. If it has a ro- high rise, it's got comes up quite sharply. So you know, you like racing yachts these days, just made to go. And then later on, there was another guy called um, Mackay, Donald Mackay, and he was a shipbuilder in the U.S. sort of uh, in Massachusetts, and he had these uh, ideas how to. Um, his thing was for building big wooden ships. So he uh, got a lot of commissions and he built a lot of vessels for a guy called James Baines. James Baines ran the Blackball line line out of the UK to Australia, uh, bringing passengers and, and also... OK, so passenger Passengers, ships. mainly passengers. Not, not freight. Freight to an extent, but these things were so quick. They'd be getting the high-end freight like tea, opium... Uh, you know, passengers, not the lower end. So kind bop. of the, the equivalent of your commercial airliners these days? Basically, yeah. Right. Made to get get there quickly, as quickly as possible. So um, Donald McKay be, built, uh, you know, a great stack of um, vessels for um, James Baines, maybe 15 or 20, something like that. But as the clipper ship's evolving and developing, it's also becoming an anachronism because um, the steamship just been invented as well so you've got this competition between steam and sail Mm. and the thing was while there was no Suez canal the clipper ships could could outpace the um 
the steamships right because they they still had to go around you know the bottom of south america and all and then bottom of uh, south africa to Australia and, and to get home. Now let's talk about, just for a second, the significance of the Suez Canal. The Suez Canal was built in 1869, so that's just all of a sudden you've cut off quite a few thousand miles of um, sea travel from your voyage. And it wasn't economical for a sailing ship to use the Suez Canal because they had no means of propulsion. All these vessels had no engines in them. Right. They just relied on sail, sail alone. And they could go, I mean, they, I think the... James Baines got up to 22 knots one time for a significant period. The greatest run was, I think, um, like 462 nautical miles in one one 24-hour period, which is like 807 kilometres. Yeah. And that's that's flying. That, yep. That is really... Real. I mean, commercial ships these days, that they'd be lucky to steam around 20 knots because the uh, economy, you have to keep your fuel costs down and all that type of thing. So the clipper ship was it was a penultimate sailing vessel, uh, commercial sailing vessel. But also, the problem was because they were such big, built by from American softwoods. If you can imagine, there's got to, got to be a lot of bracing. You can't just um, if you build something without bracing, like a house, you don't brace up all your corners. Things going to twist and contort. Yep. I mean, the vessel will twist and contort anyway, but. So they had massive reinforcing what they called knees. So you had lodging knees, hanging knees, and all these massive timbers. So if you can imagine, a rib of a ship's going to be, you know, maybe 10 inches wide or whatever in, in places, and then you've got these massive knees, and that, that reduces your cargo carrying capacity as well. So you've got all these, um, all these negatives, but also there's incredible speed these things get because they're sailing out to Australia and... Yes, I think the record was about 63 days for one of them, which is really, really moving. And they just, in the end, they just virtually drive themselves into the ground because the the steamers, yeah, you know, so the steamers slowly nibbling away because um, ste- steamers needed coaling ports because they couldn't carry enough coal to steam from from the UK to Australia. So you got this whole new industry that's emerging with steamer ships yeah. and infrastructure to support it yeah. along the lines of. And ironic, ironically, some of these ships would deliver coal to coaling ports in, by a sailing vessel. Oh, right. To, just to, <laughs> na- to nail the, the lid on the coffin properly. And presumably the design of the steamships was um, constantly evolving yeah, well, to get them travelling faster as well. Well, originally they'd, they'd be running on like maybe five PSI pressure in their boilers and in the end they were up to, um, you know, 100, 100 and something PSI which I don't know was in killer killer pascals, but awful lot. And they've gone from a, a simple steam vacuum s- system to a compound steam engine where you've got you know, four or five cylinders just reusing the steam from one cylinder to the next cylinder to the next cylinder. So becoming very economical and they're reducing their sailing cost down to like, you know, one, one pound of coal per, you know, indicated horsepower or whatever. Uh, so they were just doomed... Mm. But as a, it is glorious to see. Um, so we've got uh, this good example is the uh, clip of the Cuddy Sark in, in England. That was a, a tea clipper. So that was designed to get out to China and back as quickly as possible to get premium prices for your tea. And that, they were a lot smaller. So the ones James, um, Donald McKay was building, he was building like 2,000 tonners. So they were big, big, you know, 240 feet long, 40 feet wide, you know, 30 feet deep. 
mast standing 50, you know, 50 metres, 150 feet in the air and square rigged on each mast. And they had iron, they've gone from hemp rope, which is, if you imagine hemp when it's wet, it's going to have be elastic. So the, the masts, they had to be very careful with their masts and sails so the things would just fall over. Hmm. So they came up wire rope, which, you know, imagine twisted wire rope having cranes and all that, and they were bracing their masts with wire ropes. So then they can just keep the sail on and they'd be sailing, called sailing the easting, where they'd come down the bottom of, um, out, of, out of the UK and sail around the bottom of the world, come down the roaring 40s and just steam along with all the Westleys for, you know, weeks and weeks on end. So when did clipper ships finally go out of production and out of use? Virtually, um, and they, and, well, T-clippers sort of hung around to the uh, sort of, well, the opening of the Suez Canal, and then I mean they still built wooden sailing ships, but they weren't. They were just um, big old uh, cargo carriers, and they're just made to get from point A to point B as economical as possible. But um, probably 1859 was a sort of they really really fell off by then. So there's like a very short period of production, and these glorious, you know, huge sailing ships. Could, Steam and yeah, not steam sail at over 20, 20 knots. And we know that there are um, wrecks of clipper ships around still, well, don't we? Yeah, well, we've got luckily, luckily, I suppose lucky. Uh, we've got a couple of very nice sites. We've got the Tromberg down Peterborough, um, which was wrecked in 1855, I think, 55. Um, we've got the uh, Empress of the Seas down in Quarantine Bay, which is, I mean, there's been smashed, smashed to pieces with dynamite and all the rest of it. But you can still go down and touch an actual clipper ship, so right. it's quite quite neat. And we've got the uh, lightning at Geelong, which burnt there in uh, 1869. Right, caught fire because it was carrying wool cargo. So um, when the when they they got out of you know, the passenger trade because there was no they they just couldn't um, compete against the steamers anymore. They'd be carrying bulk cargo like wool and. Uh, well, Bull was very big. The Cutty Sark was involved in that as well. Right. Ironically named the Lightning. <laughs> Maybe they should have called it the Damp Rag. <laughs> well, you get a thing called spontaneous combustion. Yeah. Where they, the wool heats up and then... Oh, yeah, of course. And then boom. And uh, lots and lots of fuel to keep it going. So, yeah, fascinating. Thanks, Rex. That's all right. That was great. <laughs> Take out 10 minutes or so to learn all about clipper ships. <laughs> Fantastic. We've got Maddie McAllister coming in shortly to talk about the Amazon, which is not a clipper ship. No, she was just, a, just an old um, sailing ship. Right. Probably, I think, 300-something tonnes. Okay. So, uh, but, yeah, very neat, though. Good. Oh, well, we'll let Maddie do the talking on that one shortly. Yep. Excellent. Don't give too much away, bro. No, we won't. <laughs> we'll leave that for Maddie. Coming up to 29 minutes past nine, this is Radio Marinara. You're listening to 3RRR. We're going to listen to a couple of station announcements and then we'll uh, be back with Dr Surf and a surf report. Darabin Art Speakeasy and Double Water Sign present Moral Panic, written by Rachel Perks and directed by Bridget Belotis. Calling on the almighty spectre of the witch, Moral Panic unleashes all that is terrifying and unknowable about queerness and womanhood. Two's company, Three's a Coven. By the award-winning team behind Ground Control and Angry Sex, 
Moral Panic runs November 14 to the 24th at the Northcote Town Hall Arts Centre. More information at darabinarts.com.au. Triple R sponsors. One Night in Footscray is back. An explosion of art, music and performance. Discover galleries, bars and secret spaces. This free, family-friendly event includes a walking food tour, live music and interactive art installations. Friday, November 23, from 5pm till late. For details, visit onenightinfootscray.com. One Night in Footscray, Triple R Sponsors. 9.30 and uh, without further ado, we're going to cross to Dr Surf for our surf report. Good morning, Dr Surf. Morning, Brian. Now, uh, what are you doing right now? I'm asking you this because you told me to. I'm doing the dusting. <laughs> it's the key to every good woman's heart, do the dusting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Dr. Surf. Also an indication of what the surf's like. Yeah, well, we were wondering about that. We were speculating because um, the, the forecast suggested it would be very flat today. It's quite small, but it's offshore. If you want a wave, you'll get a, a let's say, a knee-high to a waist-high wave down around Torquay. If you come down this way, there are bigger waves for experienced surfers on the beaches. So it's not too bad. It's just not like last weekend. Yeah, well... <laughs> <Which> uh... <laughs> Kate came in last oh, weekend it and he... extraordinary, yeah. It, I've never seen a week like that in November. And I, I do know an old reprobate friend of mine who claims to have had 11 surfs last week, <laughs> which is just greedy. <laughs> we had um, we had Kate in last week and um, I know you're a big fan of The Simpsons. You remember that episode of The Simpsons yeah. where um, Rod and Todd Flanders uh, get to have um, a, an enormous whack of sugar for the first time courtesy of Bart and their eyes do that kind of kaleidoscope thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Kate looked like last week after, um, after yeah, his kind was, of surfing run. It was amazing. Monday was the best day, but uh, Saturday morning, I, luckily I'm an old person and I had to wake up early and I got in before the crowds and it was just incredible. But we had good waves all the way through till, till Friday. Okay. But no waves yesterday for the DSAMP champs, but that didn't matter. We still had a great day playing stupid games on the beach and going for paddle races and winning lots of prizes. So, on so, that note, mm-hmm. I have to thank my um, sponsors for the DSAMP champs, which raises money for the disabled surfers. So thanks to Bass, Golden Breed, Trigger Brothers, Crittenden Estate, Germano Estate, Getty Road for wonderful beer, Malediction for putting it on, but most of all thanks to Mrs Surf, who donated the uh, first prize and who is the main sponsor of my surfing life in general. So thank you, Mrs Surf. Now, this would be um, Mrs Surf from um, Peninsula Speech Pathology Peninsula Services. Peninsula Pathology, yes. Who are also Triple R subscribers. They are a wonderful business. But look, we had a fantastic day. We raised over $2,700. And the best thing, I think, was that it showed you can have a fantastic, fun surf competition even when there's no surf. Uh, how were the costumes? Because when you were in, you were talking about the costumes. <laughs> the costumes were terrific. We had the Beatles. <laughs> we had sea sirens. We had 70s dudes. We had sharks. Um, luckily, not real ones. <laughs> we had all sorts. Uh, we had a very scary um, Snow White uh, and some dwarves. The Snow White was very hairy. Right. <laughs> But, uh, no, look, it was a terrific day, and, and thanks to everybody, and hopefully we'll do it in another couple of years. Fantastic. Now, you're going to be in next week? I am. What are you going to be talking about, or have you not worked that I out yet? 
Uh, no, I hope Dr Garbage is coming in with me again and we'll be talking about the CASI Awards, which are awards for uh, people who help clean up the coastal environment. Okay. Fantastic. So, so we'll be going all green on you. Excellent. Well, we look forward to seeing you then, Dr Surf. Yeah, it'll be fun. All right. Have a good Sunday. Have a good week. I will. I'm, I'm, go, I'm going back to my dusting now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bron. We'll see you next week. Okay, see you then. Bye. Bye. Dr. Surf, up the ladder with his dusting rag. <laughs> like, dusting is worth an awful lot of brownie points, I can tell you that much. Yeah, I know. It's the worst of the jobs, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? I think so too. All right, 9.34, 26 minutes to 10. This is Radio Marinara and... Um, we're going to play a track now from... Uh, it's actually from A Night at the Opera by Queen. I went to take the squids to see Bohemian Rhapsody earlier in the week. Interesting film. It's um, it's polarising uh, its viewers in terms of they either love it or hate it, and we loved it. And haven't played this track for a while on Radio Marinara, so definitely deserves another spin. This is Seaside Rendezvous. It is 9.37, coming up to 20, well, it is 23 minutes to 10, and you're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR with Bron, myself, and Rex. Rex. Yes, and now we're introducing, and Kent, who we're going to get him on the mic one day. <laughs> we'll do it in a sneaky way. We're now going to introduce Maddie McAllister. Good morning, Maddie. Good morning. Thanks now, for having me here. Oh, look, thanks for coming in and thanks, Rex, for organising this. Oh, I just found yeah. lying in, outside the <laughs> Triple R studios. <laughs> so, do you want to come in? We've got a spare yeah. segment. Yeah. Um, now, you're here um, to talk about the Amazon. I wondered whether we could do that in a moment yeah, because, sure. firstly, I'm, we just had a chat in the green room before and um, I understand you've just finished your PhD yes. in maritime archaeology. Yes. Can you talk us through that? <laughs> and even how you ended up doing a PhD in maritime archaeology. Sure. Um, I guess I have been interested in maritime archaeology for a long time. Um, I'm from Western Australia, so I grew up down the southwest coast down there. Um, and actually my granddad, um, I guess, told me many, many stories about shipwrecks. So I grew up wanting to be a marine biologist, um, met a few people from the West Australian Museum and figured out I could actually do something called maritime archaeology, which not a lot of people know about, I think. Uh, and I was hooked from the age of 15 and I went through high school, went to university at Flinders in Adelaide, um, headed back home to Perth where I worked at the museum for a few years and eventually joined uh, a big ARC project there that my PhD was a part of. So Right. So what did, you, what did you study for your PhD? So my PhD was on uh, underwater 3D photogrammetric modelling of shipwreck sites. Okay. So, <laughs> so it was very tech. Yeah. Very tech yeah, focused. Very tech focused. Um, I looked at, I guess, the new technology that is sort of everyone can get their hands on at the moment of making 3D models by just taking photos. And I wanted to see how we could employ that on shipwreck sites in Australia to actually map and record underwater uh, because normally it is quite difficult with our conventional methods with tape measures and it takes a long time. So that was the focus of, yeah, of my thesis. Wow. <laughs> Big signing for you, Rex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll never replace the tape measure. No. <laughs> <laughs> we've got, we've kind of got old and new world yeah. happening here. It's yeah. fascinating. There's room yeah. for both, both yeah, types absolutely. of methodology it though, is, yeah? uh, It's stunning when you see these pictures and you can manipulate them and look at yeah. them and even the sites you can go through, you actually swim through a shipwreck 
3D. It is amazing technology. Mm, wow. Mm-hmm. So how did your how did your work conclude? Yeah. Um, well, it's just been accepted. So it's been, I guess, past ten months of amendments and things like that. The typical PhD, I guess, slave route um, to get well, it done. Yeah. And the examiners, you know, yeah. they they need to prove their worth, yes, don't they? So exactly. they're going to kind of get the red pen out and yeah. tear it apart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so no, very good. I um, I worked on two sites in Western Australia, the Batavia, which is quite famous the Dutch East India ship and a colonial one closer to Perth uh, and both of them I successfully modelled and I guess I really I assessed the, the outcomes and actually how we can incorporate them into the, the things that we already do as maritime archaeologists. So Yeah, cool. Yeah, the future is bright for, for virtual sites and 3D modelling and actually bringing some sites to people that I guess can't dive or, or wouldn't get the chance to visit them. So, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> so you're now over here yes. working for Heritage Victoria yes, as yeah. a maritime archaeologist. Yeah. Brilliant. So what's your role there? Um, well, as, as maritime archaeologist, so there's two of us in the department, uh, myself and, and my boss, Pete Harvey, and we manage the state's shipwrecks uh, and the Commonwealth shipwrecks and I guess a lot to do with permitting and, and making sure um, people are doing the right things and that we're protecting our shipwrecks for the future. But a lot of it is to do with outreach as well and I guess getting something that's not really visible to people like your your monuments and your other sort of sites around Australia are and bringing that to the public as well. Yeah, and it's like with all things underwater, when they're out of sight, they're so often out of mind and that yeah. can come down to how they're considered and, and valued too. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So how did you both, as in you and Rex, are you working together? Yes. Well, I know the answer to that question because that's why you're here <laughs> to talk about the Amazon. But um, with Rex and the work that he's doing yep. and other um, archaeologists out there as well. Yeah, I guess. Um, so Rex is part of MWAV, so the Maritime Archaeology Association of Victoria. And they're actually very famous around Australia for having a long history of, I guess, helping um, the people in roles like mine to actually get work done and um, I mean Rex himself has a huge body of knowledge that I don't have and I would say a lot of maritime archaeologists don't have so we like to to work with them um, continuously because I guess that's how we get things done we work with them to to find sites and to go out on weekends and and I guess keep keep pushing I guess the challenges of finding finding shipwrecks and learning more about them. Mm. So yeah, I guess there's a long history of Heritage Victoria working with MWAV. I would say. Yeah, it's interesting. Last week we were talking um, with uh, some people from Parks Victoria about yep. the problem. Stephen Howe, yeah. who's manager of um, marine science there, and and very very similar experience that they have with. And in this case, it was the Scuba Divers Federation. Mm-hmm. Um, in the work that they've done, the advocacy work to try and really uh, understand and promote the importance of conservation with areas like the Prom uh, and, and other areas as well. But yeah, it's it's interesting. So that model really works, doesn't oh, it? Oh yes, yes, the um, av- avocational and the yeah. professional. Yeah, and the, the and the value of community knowledge and experience. It's very important. Excellent, yes. which we're all about here at Three Triple R as well. All right, so let's talk about the Amazon. Yes. So, um, so Amazon is, I guess, I've only been at Heritage Victoria for about three or four months, um, and I came in with this great idea of really wanting to do a project that would get shipwrecks uh, into the public eye. Uh, and when I 
I arrived at Heritage Victoria, um, chatting to Pete, my boss. There's a there's a lovely volunteer who's been there for quite a few years, Dario, and he's been working on a desktop assessment of Victoria's most significant shipwrecks that are also at risk. So whether by environmental or, or human, I guess, um, aspects and so the number one on that list is the Amazon shipwreck so it is quite historically significant and unfortunately its location is on a surf beach down at Inverloch and there's quite a lot of coastal erosion down there so it's uncovered um, it's getting a bit of damage from the constant swell and the turnover of sediment uh, and also people unfortunately picking things off thinking that they can take things off this site so uh, we came up with an idea of running a field school uh, with Flinders University from Adelaide on recording the site as it is now while we while we can and while it's uncovered and really getting an understanding of what archaeological record is there and what future research we can do. So it started as a small idea and it's just grown and grown and um, now I think we've got a lot of public um, involvement in it and the local community down there is quite quite proud of their shipwreck and, and their heritage and they want to protect it. So, yeah. Great. So where is the project out in terms of its stage? Oh, sure. So um, we actually head into the field on the 26th of November. So we're doing 10 days down at Inverloch uh, with Flinders. And so at the moment we're just, I guess, finalising some of those, um, the very boring logistics and, and things like that. But there will be 10 students from um, the Maritime Archaeology Program at Flinders, including two who have won scholarships coming from Indonesia and the Philippines. Oh, so, wow. yeah, so it's going to be quite a good, I guess, a good example of a way that we as practitioners in maritime archaeology can teach the next generation of maritime archaeologists coming through in a real setting and actually getting some real community involvement as well. So, so 26th of November for 10 days, so yeah. roughly... Roughly until the... It's the 5th of December Okay, we're, we're finishing up. Great. So we'll have a couple of programs left between then and yeah. the end of the year. Will you come in and talk yeah, to us about how it all went? To, yeah, That'd be great. Absolutely. Yes. So, um, yeah, and Flinders has... Um, they've got all the new technology and all the new equipment, so they're bringing a whole, a whole bunch of things to do some really fascinating recording that even I don't really know about. But um, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we'll get some good 3D models um, and we'll also get... I guess an understanding of the community down there that this shipwreck is protected uh, and that we're working on ways to manage it for the future. We know we have subscribers down in Inverloch. Sure. We know there are people listening. Yeah. If people want to find out more and sort of get involved, what's the best way they can do yeah. that? Yeah, um, well, the local community, um, the Bath Shire is the first place. I'm, I'm working with them um, quite closely and we're going to hopefully do a public lecture on the Thursday of that week. I, I don't know which date exactly that is. Um, We'll stay in touch through Rex yeah, yeah. and um, we'll put those details on our yeah. Facebook page and people can get along to yeah, see it. Yeah, absolutely. So, and we're going to do an open day. So, well, I guess a very casual, if they walk along the beach and see us see us working, they can come and have a chat to the great. archaeologists. So, yeah. Fantastic. Thanks, Maddie. You're welcome. Thank great you. Great having you in. Yeah. Looking forward to the next time already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Rex. That's all right. Brilliant. Um, we've been speaking with Dr. Maddie McAllister. <laughs> we can say that now. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Um, from Heritage Victoria. Indeed. And with our first further ado, welcome Jeff Maynard. Hi, Bron. Guess what? What? You haven't got four minutes. Oh, look, I'm going to rush through it as always. <laughs> no, we've left you lots of time today. Oh, I have too. So, okay. um, time look, for I'm not well. sound waves. <laughs> no, um, well, I'd like to, but... Um, now, I've uh, given this a big drum roll with, um, yeah, no, with I'm Maritime suffering. Meets um, American Cowboy. I think Cowboy. we all are. I'm suffering from PTSD and it's quite serious. Um, post-television stress disorder. <laughs> 
and it's, it's a little known disorder, but I think if we work on it, we can get some sort of um, pensions and things out of the whole thing. And it basically lies dormant inside you, and it basically means that if you go back 30 or 40 years and try to read the words of a television theme song that you watched as a kid, it's impossible to do without breaking into some sort of lyrical, musical sort of thing. And to taste whether you've got it, Brian, I want Uh-oh. you to read that... I want you to read that on air yeah, and everyone okay. can listen at home and see. Just go, don't look at it first, just start reading. <laughs> and everyone see if you've got PTSD. Off you go, Brian. You don't want me to sing this, do no, you? No, no, I want you to read it without singing it. That's the hard part. Okay. Just read it, don't break into song. Go. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. I can't do this. Go. The mate was a mighty sailing lad, the skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. Yeah, there's PTSD in this, Brian. You can the hear weather, it. I'm breaking out of sweat. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. Yeah. You can't, can't do it, can you? No. No, it's impossible. And, that, and that's post-television stress disorder. Right. And I bring that up as an intro because this year I've been doing Australian TV shows with a maritime theme yes and i've got another one and as a kid uh and there's a cowboy theme in this as a kid i grew up watching a lot of cowboy shows and of course you got the songs in your head so i've got to introduce a show called bronco lane i've got to relax my face muscles and tell you about bronco without breaking into a song and it's not easy (laughs) but bronco was now (coughs) sorry i just need to take a deep breath it's like like that (laughs) final scene in the king's speech where you know they're trying to get him to talk to the troops okay (coughs) bronco was born down around the old panhandle texas was where he came to fame there's not a horse that he can't handle that's how he got his name bronco bronco lane I think I got through that pretty well. You did well. (laughs) Thank you. Anyway, Aussie TV shows, uh, I've been doing maritime themes, a lot set on the Great Barrier Reef, and they all needed three things. They all needed a precocious kid, you know, about 12 years old. They needed a cute marsupial, the kid had a wombat or a kangaroo or something like that, and they needed Rowena Wallace in a bikini running around the deck deck of some old ship, and they did that, and that was fun. Anyway, this, this one... Uh, this one broke the mould. It didn't have the precocious kid, didn't have the cute marsupial. Uh, it had Rowena Wallace running around the deck in a bikini. Um, but it had a cowboy, and it was Bronco Lane. And it was a, Bronco Lane was late 50s, early 60s, American cowboy show, spin-off from a thing called Cheyenne. Cheyenne had a guy called, a big guy called Clint Walker in it. And one day he got into a contractual dispute with the MGM studios, and they said, fine, get off the set and we'll dragging something. So they dragged in a guy called Ty Harden, who was a really handsome-looking guy, dragged him and stuck a cowboy hat on him and said, you're Bronco Lane. And so he did the Bronco Lane. And it was so successful, they gave him a spin-off. And the spin-off Bronco lasted for about four years. He'd ride into a little town, you know, make moon eyes at the local school teacher, shoot a few bad guys and ride out again. <laughs> and it took him 50 minutes. Um, anyway, Ty Harden, at the end of that, came to Australia and made a show called Riptide. And it's basically ah. a cowboy show where he um, uh, he, he sails around, he, he swaps his horse for a yacht and he sails around the Great Barrier Reef, doing pretty much the same things he did in Bronco Lane. Um, 
I've, I've what the grabs I've got are from the pilot episode, and whenever you have a pilot episode, you've got to explain the backstory in about thirty seconds, otherwise people turn off. And so, as you do in any backstory, you just have the local radio announcer completely out of the blue <laughs> tell you, "Oh, you know, this has been happening," and, and got nothing to do with anything. But uh, Bronco, oh sorry, Ty Harden called. He's, he's called Moss Andrews actually in the show. Moss Andrews sails his his yacht into some bay in Queensland after doing a whole lot of stuff and the local radio announcer just happens to sort of say on his little transistor radio what's been going on. Into Radio 4MK Mackay, the voice of the Barrier Reef. Still no news of the UNIJ whose skipper Moss Andrews is sailing single-handed from California. He has not been heard of for 17 days now when he was reported 300 miles southwest of the Fijian Islands. He was expected to sight the eastern Australian coast over a week ago. There is some concern as no radio contact has been made. Now for the weather forecast. The heavy storms that lash North Queensland coast have moved on, so today we should get nicely into the 90s in most areas. So we open up the show, you know, the guy comes in on his yacht. Um, the senior set. Yeah, yeah, the, the senior set. Now the first thing any cowboy does when he rides into town, besides, you know, getting, go to the <laughs> saloon and have a shootout, he's got to meet the, the attractive, feisty independent woman she's usually the rancher's daughter or she's the um, um, local school teacher or something like that uh, and, and so he has to go into town meet her and and that's what uh, moss andrews does um he, any, anyway let's let's just, he's got to meet his he gets off his yacht boy you chose a beautiful moment mr whoever you are moss andrews I'm sorry about what happened, but she just... All I need is a flaming American tourist to come barging along and scuttle us. Now, if you'll just listen, I can explain Thanks everything. Thanks to you, we missed the tide that might have got us off that reef. If you'll quit hollering for a minute and just listen what... I'd like to come aboard and give you a fistful. All right, you can come aboard, but leave the axe. Now, if you just have a look around, you can see for yourself. Right, you rotter. That's right. Hey, I'd say you ran into that storm, huh? Yeah, there, there was a blow. It sort of broke up a few things. I didn't introduce myself. No, but you made a great impression. Rainbow Quilter. Lorraine, if you want to be formal. Don't want to be. You must be the boss around here, the way you're throwing orders around. So he meets Rainbow Quilter or something. <laughs> Rainbow Quilter? Yeah, yeah. So you've got Moss Andrews and Rainbow Quilter. Is this in Nimbin? <laughs> it's sounding uh, very uh, Nimbin. Mackay, I think they said. Okay. So it's a little further north. Right. Uh, oh, yeah, a lot well, further north. Well, uh, they did 26 episodes of this, and he'd sort of get up and down the coast, anywhere there was good weather sort of thing, and... It, good enough to take his shirt off and show his muscles and stand on the deck and just go into the little bay and get out and, you know, punch yeah. a couple of local fishermen or something and, <laughs> you know, meet the girl and go off again. Uh, anyway, anyway, good cow. So he's got to melt the girl's heart, you know. He's, he's turned up, his yacht's all thing, and he's done something to whatever her boat and her dad were sailing, so, you know. But he's got to melt the girl's heart. So, so uh, being a sort of American, he can do that, you know. That, that's what you do. Shouted at you. You know, you must be a pretty good sailor to be able to get this through the storm. Ever done any racing? I do a little. I crewed on a 5-5 in Melbourne, 56 Olympics. Yeah? Olympics? How far did you say you'd come in this yacht? From San Francisco. Huh? That's over 6,000 miles. That's right. Give or take a five. <laughs> Dad, meet Mr. Moss Andrews. He's come all the way from California. Now... Obviously, Cowboy Show, we've got another 40 minutes or 30 minutes to fill after he's met the girl, so he's got to go <laughs> off and get the, the evil, like, bad guy who's running all the ships up and down or doing, you know, destroying people's lobster nets or whatever they do, you know. So you'll go off and go through the whole story with that. Uh, but the most important scene in any Cowboy movie, 
uh, or any cowboy show is, is the end scene, you know, because you think you've done all this great stuff, everybody loves you, you're getting free drinks in town, the girl's falling in love with you, but he always gets back on his horse and he rides away, you know. You still think, what? You know, and they were, a couple of the old guys will say, you know, the sheriff will say, you know, why don't you stick around for a while, Tex, you know, oh, no, yeah. I'm going to move you on down the track, you know, and the girl sort of says, you know, you can always stay here, and he says, no, I'll, maybe one day I'll come back. So we've got that scene as well, because at the end of every, every episode of Riptide, he jumped back on his yacht, you know, with his still no shirt on, and, and sort of sails <laughs> down the Queensland coast somewhere, you know, and it was great. So we've got, just to wrap up, we've got the last scene where they're all down on the deck and he's getting back on his yacht and the American's about to do that thing and say the last scene of the cowboy movie. He can't get the yacht to sort of rear up like a horse, but he's just got <laughs> he can sort of head off, so uh, we'll have a listen to that one. The tree you're a vice president in San Francisco. Now I'm just a sailor on leave. <laughs> good luck, Dan. Have a good trip. Thanks. Goodbye, Moss. How long before we see you back in Australia? You never know. Black guy just might be around a while. Will you come and see us again in Banjo, Moss? Well, that depends on which way the wind blows. And that's Riptide. He sort of sails uh, off over the sunset after 50 minutes adventure in any little <laughs> cove that he finds on the Queensland coast. Um, I kind of vaguely remember it. It ran in Australia late 60s. Six. Yeah, Rex is looking at me like he you knows say, it. Don't, can you remember the episode when he was in the desert and he sailed his yacht across the desert? On the- <laughs> oh, you know this, Rex. Oh, yeah, see? See, PTSD. Rex has got it. <laughs> They mounted the shot on um, some sort of trailer. He put his sails up and he sailed across the Nullarbor. <laughs> How long did this series run for? Uh, 26 episodes. Right, so, right. So, what, a couple of years or a year? I don't, I don't know, 26, 30. Episodes were usually done in 13 because you break 52 weeks of the year up into quarters. And so that would have been two lots of 13. And um, uh, it, it, it was, I, I found a lot of episodes in German. Yeah, like they dubbed them in German, so it was popular in Germany. Uh, but YouTube didn't have, and he had the pilot and a few little bits. Uh, but, but sailing across the Nullarbor, yeah. <laughs> that'd be classic. Yeah. I'll see if I can find that. Excellent. Maybe bring that one back. Oh, you're welcome as always. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Any hints on next time, or you're not quite sure yet? I haven't even thought that. Far. Excellent. Well, that can be a nice surprise for us. Scramble your brain. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks, Rex. Thanks, Thank, Ron. Thanks so much, Kent, for um, for pushing our buttons today. Done <laughs> expertly as always. And thanks so much to Maddie McAllister for being in. We're looking forward to catching up with her again. And Dr. Surf, who will be in next week along with Cade. Stay tuned for Radiotherapy. The doctors will take you through to 11 o'clock when uh, the team from Einstein and GoGo will take you through till 12. Have a wonderful Sunday and we'll catch you next week for more Radio Marinara. Bye for now. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.